I want to go back to 1 Thessalonians. I hope to preach through this letter um, from the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to the church of the Thessalonians. I preached about a month ago an introductory message, and we just looked from Acts 17 and looked at the story of how the church at Thessalonica was formed. You'll remember, and from the outset, let me correct an error that I made in the first message. Our trusted pastor of 47 plus years uh, was quick to, to tell me that Macedonia is not modern day Turkey. It's modern day Greece. All right? Don't you forget it. <laughs> um, so, you remember that Paul, uh, the, the Holy Spirit had, Paul was wanting to go to some places to spread the gospel but the Spirit would not allow him to go. And so Paul could have been frustrated. We don't know. He could have been thinking, man, what's going on? I think I'm I'm trying to do the Lord's will. Well, then he gets a vision, and a man in a vision asks him to come to Macedonia and to help us. And so Paul does. Paul and Silas, they go to Philippi first, where the Lord uses him and, and a group of ladies praying. They use him to start a church in Philippi. And you'll remember that God, the power of God through Paul, cast a demon spirit out of a young girl who was fortune-telling and her slaveholders were making money off of that fortune-telling. And so when the demon was cast out of her and she was a changed lady, uh, they were upset because their hope of gains was gone. The way they were making their money was gone. And so they stripped Paul and Silas completely naked, beat them, cast them into prison, what did Paul and Silas do through their pain and their embarrassment, their, their physical anguish and embarrassment? They sing praises to God and pray at midnight. The earthquake happens. The, um, the shackles come loose. And uh, the Lord converts that Philippian jailer. Well, then they go from Philippi and then they go to Thessalonica. And uh, one of the things I wanted to emphasize in the first message was... and I I mentioned it in our prayer service this morning, is the foundation upon which the church at Thessalonica was formed on. The foundation upon which the message on which the church uh, was formed. And and I trust it's the message on which the church here at Grace Chapel is formed as well. And that is that it says in Acts 17, and Paul, verse 2, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. That is the message. That is the foundation on which this church was founded. And so, Paul is writing this letter actually from Corinth because... There were many, many people that, that uh, received this message through the power of the Holy Spirit, and they were converted, and they formed a church. But there were many unbelieving Jews who hated this message. And you'll remember that Paul was staying at a, at a man's house named Jason, and lewd fellows of the baser sort came and assaulted the house of Jason, looking for Paul and Silas. And so Paul and Silas went away to Berea, which is about 45 miles away, 40 or 50 miles away, The same thing happens in Berea. They preach the message of the gospel. Many people repent and believe. And guess what happens? That same group, that same uh, uh, group of of roughnecks, uh, haters of of the message of Christ, they don't just leave the other town alone. They go from Thessalonica to Berea and cause another uproar there. And so then eventually Paul 
goes to, to Athens and then to Corinth, and that is where he writes this letter. What we'll look at, I'm going to read the whole chapter 1. It's only 12 verses, but we will look at really just the first four verses today. The, the title of the message is Remembering Without Ceasing. Remembering Without Ceasing. And what we'll look at is just Paul's greeting in Christ to the saints and then Paul's expression of prayer and gratitude for them. Those are the, the two points that, that we hope to consider today. So let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Silvanus, or Silas, and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Praise God for His Word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I do pray that You would break Thou the bread of life to us. Lord, I, I truly mean it. I don't want to get in the way uh, Lord, I pray that you would just speak through me, bless me to speak your word faithfully, and that we would receive your word in all for the glory of Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. So, I have to admit, oftentimes when I'm reading or we're growing up memorizing these epistles, I just kind of run through the greeting. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus to the church of the Thessalonians, who is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace, mercy, and peace be unto you. You know, we, we're, we're used to that. Paul does that. Well, and I was, it was my intention when studying this, I was kind of, yeah, I mean, we're going to give, give some lip service to this, but we really want to move into the meat of what he's saying. Well, I cannot do that. We cannot do that. Paul does use this same greeting or one very similar to begin all his inspired letters. You'll look, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, 2 Corinthians 1, 2, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. He uses pretty much the same greeting. It was customary in those days to announce yourself at the first of your letter. So if you're writing a letter now or writing an email, you'll wait to the end to say, sincerely, John Eric Brown. And then you give maybe, you know, school, uh, teacher of whatever you teach at Westminster Academy. You, you give kind of your, your credentials or who you are at the end of the letter. Well, in these days, it was customary to announce yourself at the beginning of your letters. And so that's what Paul does. And I want you to notice 
I love this. This is a church. So Paul's writing this, this letter to this church. This church is less than a year old when he's writing this letter. This church may have been five, six months old when he's writing this letter. And one of Paul's purposes was to encourage this church, this, this newly formed church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul, the Holy Spirit, does not waste any words. What Paul does and what the Holy Spirit does in verse 1 is he's going to put his stamp of approval that this is a true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he says. He says, To the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father. This denotes a fixed position or place. Think of of God being the tree or God being the vine and you're the branches, John 15. That is what he is saying. You belong to God the Father. You young believers in Jesus Christ. You young church who is struggling with persecution. They've had many uh, people in their church to die Right now, if you, re- if you combine First and Second Thessalonians, many people in their church have died and they're, they, they are not quite sure about the resurrection and have the ones who have already died if they missed the resurrection and all of that. And so he is writing this letter to encourage this church. He wants them to know that you are a church of the living God whom Jesus Christ has shed His own blood for you. You belong to God. Well, it's also... It's also no accident that Paul includes, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's no accident that he was sure, was he was careful to include that. Because remember, we, I've already mentioned it. What was the message that Paul preached? The message that Paul preached, the message of the Gospel, is that Jesus Christ, the Messiah the King, the Anointed One, the Savior, must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Remember that Paul is writing to many Jews. And these unbelieving Jews, and and, and it's the same today in 2024, are still looking for the Messiah. They're still looking for for the long-awaited, long-foretold, long-prophesied-about Messiah. Well, here's the thing. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're awaiting the Messiah as well. But it's the second time without sin unto salvation where He will come and judge the quick and the dead. He will come and uh, condemn the wicked. And for those whom His blood is shed, He will take us home to be with Him in glory. And so... These Jews, they hated that message. They hated the message that, no, this Jesus of Nazareth is not the Messiah. Many of, of them believed. And so they were infuri- infuriated, and that's why a riot gets started. That's why Paul and Silas had to leave, had to go to Berea, because people were looking for them. They wanted them dead. But no, this is what he is emphasizing here is the deity of Jesus Christ. That is the godness of Jesus Christ and the equality of Christ with the Father. Jesus is God. God the Father is God. God the Son is God. God the Holy Spirit is God. And you know, the truth is, the message of the Gospel is glorious for those whose eyes have been opened by the Holy Spirit. But for those whose eyes have not been opened... 
Look and see. The message of God was, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ was maddening and infuriating. Oh, that God would open eyes to receive the message of Jesus Christ. That Christ must needs have suffered and died and risen again. And that this Jesus is Christ. Well, still looking at Paul's greeting. None of these words that Paul is going to use are just cliche, just going through the motions, just vain repetition. He says, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're all honest, we must admit that it is easy at times for us to mindlessly tell each other, God bless you, praying for you, you know, come see us sometime. Those type of, of words, they're, they're, they're good, good things to say, but... but at times, maybe, are, are you actually praying for me? You know, are you actually, do you actually, what if you say, hey, come see us anytime? I always thought it'd be funny and to just come up on them. I'm here! <laughs> the fact is, Paul, under divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does not waste any words. See, the beautiful reality for children of God, for believers in Jesus Christ, is that the message, the language of grace and peace is what binds us together. This message of salvation by unmerited favor, the unmerited favor that Jesus Christ places on undeserving, worthless sinners like you and like me. That is the message that binds us together. You and I, believer, were once dominated by sin. We were once children of disobedience with no hope in and of ourselves, no desire to please God in and of ourselves. But praise God for grace. Praise God for divine, unmerited favor. And without grace, there is no peace. I don't know if you've seen this before. I like it. It's, it's a, a, a good a little play on words, but it's no grace, no peace. N-O grace, N-O peace. But if you know grace, you know peace. K-N-O-W grace, K-N-O-W peace. This peace, that it's a soul that is, that is at rest. It's a soul that's assured of its salvation in Christ. And so that is the message. That is, that is what binds us together. That is what binds the church of the Thessalonians together with Paul, who is miles and miles away from them. That is the message that binds us together, that will bind you and I together today, is grace and peace. So may we express this language to each other and mean it. We are recipients of the grace of our God. And because of that, if you know the grace of God, then you know everlasting peace, assurance, tranquility, rest, even in the midst of trials and hardships. You know that peace. Praise God for that. And so we, may we be about the Master's business. Well, then Paul is going to express his gratitude, his prayer and his gratitude for these people. 
in verse 2, he says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. You know, Paul is not the do as I say but not as I do uh, type of man. You know, Paul not only instructed Christians to pray, and he does. 1 Thessalonians 5, what Brother Zach will call Paul's checklist, pray without ceasing. Be uh, instant in prayer, I believe he says maybe in Romans. Be constantly in prayer, he says in Colossians. So he instructs the saints to whom he is writing to pray. But Paul leads by example. Paul had a robust prayer life for himself, specifically for the saints. Listen to what he says. We give thanks to God always for you all. I cannot get you out of my mind. I am thanking God for you always, making mention of you in our prayers. This is the, the regular rhythm of Paul's life, and may it be the regular rhythm of your and, I, your and my life, is to pray for one another, to give thanks for one another. And not only that, Paul would go on, Paul would go on, it says, I'm making mention of you in our prayers. It, it, it implies that Paul is mentioning these saints by name. I can imagine he's thinking of Brother Jason and his family who were so kind to put us up in his house and other people. Paul is spending time thinking about by name these saints and, and lifting them up and praying for them, giving thanks for them. These are not just filler words that Paul is writing to just, again, get on with the intro and then get on with what I really want to say. Isn't it a blessing to know that a fellow believer, when they tell you that they're praying for you, they, you know they actually are. You know they actually mean it. They are actually being honest during trials like the persecution, like the death of these Thessalonian saints, the sufferings, that they know that Paul is praying for them always. Let's just look at two of the prayers. Just, just I may not even make any comments, just read them. Just some of these prayers that Paul prays specifically for the Thessalonians. In chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3, verse, uh, verses 9 through 13, listen to this language. Listen to this type of, of intimate, pastoral love that Paul has for these people. In chapter 3, verse 9, he says, for what, for what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face. He misses them. I'm praying for you night and day and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. I want you to grow in the faith. I miss you. I'm longing for you. This is my desire for you. Verse 11 of 1 Thessalonians 3. Now God Himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you, to the end for the purpose that we may establish your hearts. We want your hearts to be stable, sure, have a firm foundation, unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. What a prayer. What a prayer from a heart of love, a heart of pastoral love. In chapter 5, verse 23, 
to, to end, to close the letter, to close the first letter, he would say, this is after he is, he is giving him his final instructions, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, quench not the Spirit, all of those things, abstain from all appearance of evil. Then he says, verse 23, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, completely, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body may be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you and I, if you're like me and sometimes you um, just, just mentally, maybe you're tired and your brain is cloud and you can't even think of what to pray at times, here are some prayers right here, some Holy Spirit inspired prayers right here that we can and should pray for one another. And may we have this love that Paul has for these saints. You know, January 28th, the last, or not last month, it's already March. January 28th uh, marked the one year anniversary of my ordination into the, uh, the ministry as a, as a gospel minister. And so just studying this has really convicted me and, and motivated me and inspired me that God would cultivate in me this type of love, this type of, of perseverance in prayer, this um, uh, uh, genuineness, sincerity in prayer for you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul would tell the people in chapter 2, he would, he would say that he cares for them as a nursing mother for her infant. That's the type of love, the tender love that he has. And, and just being a part of that with a five-month-old, it, it means so much more to me that what tender love like a nursing mother has for her infant. That's the type of love that Paul has for these saints. He would call them his glory and joy. Matter of fact, the word brethren, brothers and sisters, is mentioned 17 times in this letter. The type of love. You're, you're my brothers. You're my sisters. I love you. I'm thankful for you. And yes, this is instructive for, for me, for, for Brother Zach, for Brother Isaac, as... Uh, gospel ministers, as preachers, as elders, as pastors, that we are to be men of prayer. We are to give ourselves to the ministry of the Word and prayer. Prayer and the ministry of the Word, I think, is actually uh, the, the uh, order there in Acts chapter 6. But this is instructive to the congregation as well. Again, we, we talked about this a few Wednesday nights ago. We're all ministers. We are all uh, part of this flock. We are all a part of this church. And how is your prayer life? How is your prayer life specifically for one another in this church, in this local congregation? How much time do we spend? And I've asked myself this too. How much time do we spend in sincere prayer, mentioning you by name, mentioning you in my prayers, giving thanks always for you all? How is it with you? How is it with me in your prayer life? for each other specifically. If we need to repent, let's do some repenting. In, in, chap, in verse 3, sorry, in verse 3, he's going to get a little more specific for what he is thanking God always for them about. <clears throat> He would say, remembering without ceasing. Remembering constantly. I am constantly remembering. 
What is he remembering? Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. Again, one of Paul's main purposes in this letter is to encourage these saints. Again, remember what happened with Jason, the unbelieving Jews that have caused an uproar convert, uh, because of their conversion to Christ and this church that's been constituted. And Paul is remembering their kingdom work, specifically their work of faith, their labor of love, their patience of hope in the sight of in our Lord Jesus Christ and in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. Paul mentions this glorious Bible doctrine of election. This this truth that God, before time as we know it began, chose a people in Christ unto salvation. It's all it's in Ephesians, Romans 9, Titus and Peter. The doctrine of election is a glorious doctrine, and it is a, a glorious theological doctrine that we hold to and we must hold to, but it is also intensely practical. How does Paul know their election of God? Election, from what Paul would teach us, does not lead to laziness. And this is, If we are using election as a crutch for apathy or for laziness, we need to do some soul searching. We need to do some soul searching if we are using it as a crutch to not be about the Master's business. And what Paul would say is there is a way to know. There is a way to have assurance of your salvation. There is a way to know that that Paul didn't have to wonder. He didn't have to question whether these people belonged to the Lord or not. Whether they were saved or not. There was no guessing. Paul knew by how they lived. Paul knew by how they lived. This is not works-based salvation. This is the pure, unadulterated grace, saving grace of Jesus Christ that leads to, that transforms lives and that leads to this godliness, this holiness, this work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope. And this is what God's electing love produces. It produces faith, hope, and love. 1 Corinthians 13, these are the, you can find these, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And really, the rest of the chapter, which we, I'm only going to, I'll stop here at verse 4, but the rest of the chapter is just the outworking of that faith, hope, and love. What is that faith, hope, and love producing? The beautiful, glorious gift of faith. The gift as one brother said, the gift to be able to see Christ as excellent. To be able to, to, um, to be transformed from darkness into the marvelous light of Christ and to believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is something that as sinners, as dead sinners in our nature, we could never get or even desire on our own. It is a gift of God. Second Peter 1, Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. But then he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there in Ephesians 2. He says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus 
unto good works, which He hath purposed. Let me get there. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. For recipients of this grace and this peace, of this gift of faith, God has purposed that we should walk in good works. We who are the workmanship of God, He has purposed that we would walk in this. And whatever God purposes, it comes to pass. James would say, faith without works is dead. This reminds me of Timothy. Timothy is a part of this uh, evangelistic work in Thessalonica, what was one thing that Timothy was known for? I've said this before, that if if it can be said of me, if it's true of me, I would love for this to be on my tombstone. Of Timothy, it says that Timothy was a man who had unfeigned faith, genuine faith, sincere faith, faith that's not hypocritical. He had unfeigned faith. As Brother Bradley would say, true faith will work. And so these saints are workers. They are working. They are doing their kingdom work. Your work of faith. Your labor of love. You know, the reason what fuels this work, what fuels this this life of, of spiritual sweat, this spiritual toil, this diligence that the writer of Hebrews would talk about, This labor that's not in vain, this being steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of God. For you know that your labor is not in vain that Paul would talk about in 1 Corinthians. What what fuels us to be able to love someone who is not very lovable? Or maybe for somebody to love us when we're not being very lovable. In the context of the church and in family as well, but this is specifically to the church. What is the fuel? How can we continue on when it just seems like, man, I, this person, you don't know this person like I do. And despite the, the grief, the grief or the deaths of loved ones like we've experienced in this church and um, that the Thessalonian saints were experiencing, it's all fueled in hope. In hope. And I would encourage you all to look up, to go to Ripley's uh, sermon audio page and look at your pastor, Brother Isaac, preached a glorious message on being anchored in hope yesterday. I, I would admonish you to go back and listen to that. Hope is the fuel for the work of faith and labor of love. This hope, it is not, as we all, it, it is not wishful thinking. It is not just hoping against hope. It is not just. Um, good thoughts that, that will get us through a hard life and, and uh, we hope for some fairy tale ending. No, this hope, this uh, patience of hope, this is an enduring, expectant hope. This is looking to an end. This is enduring. We're willing to endure and work and toil and labor because we have anticipation that's rooted and grounded in the truths of God's Word. What would he say in verse 10 of 1 Thessalonians? He's talking about your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God, and then he gets specific. How do we know? How is your faith, hope, and love, how is it playing out? Well, the very last verse, he says, 
and to wait for His Son from heaven, and to hope for, expecting His Son, Jesus, from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. That is what was keeping these saints going. That is what will keep you and I going today, brothers and sisters, in the year 2024, when it seems like everything is against us. We have a firm foundation of hope that's founded in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so that is what makes us work. That is what makes us be able to rejoice and continue on. Brother Isaac said yesterday that hope is what will cure spiritual sluggishness. It is not... It's not just an empty state of mind. You know, I think of, I think of, um, you know, running a race. Maybe you're running. Of course, the Bible uses a lot of of, of uh, athletic analogies and, and, and the analogy of, of a runner in a race. But you're running a race, and you get your shin splints, and every muscle it seems you didn't even know some muscles you had were able to tighten up like they do, and you're just in pain. Your knees are hurting and you don't know if you can make it. But then there's an expected end. There is a finish line. There is a finish line just a little bit longer, just a little bit longer. That is the hope for a Christian. That is a hope for a child of God. I love what one man says, John Stott, about this verse. He says, faith... I love this. Listen to this. Faith rests on the past. Love works in the present. And then hope looks to the future. And Lord willing, we'll consider next time the outworking of this faith and hope and love and look at the rest of the chapter. But I want to ask you a question. If Paul was writing, if we got a letter from the Apostle Paul today, you know, these letters are meant, he even, he even mentions this, this letter is meant to be read out loud, and so our deacon, Brother Kiefer, somebody gets up and reads this letter from Paul to Grace Chapel, to the church at Grace Chapel there in Memphis, Tennessee. What would he notice about this church? Would Paul be able to honestly say, I give thanks unto you always, and I'm remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope, knowing, brethren beloved, at Grace Chapel, your election of God. Would he be able to honestly say that? Or would he say, my dearly beloved at Grace Chapel, I am disheartened to know of your spiritual coldness, your apathy, your discord that's being sown, your bickering. What would Paul be able to say through the Holy Spirit about us as a church and you and I individually? I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that I believe, of course imperfectly, tries to practice this, that tries to be workers in the kingdom, that has a work of faith and that's laboring in love and has a hope for the future. And my prayer, it was prayed earlier, my prayer 
is that when Jesus Christ comes back, there will be a candlestick here, a thriving candlestick here that's preaching the same message and then that is doing the same things, the laboring and the hope that we will be a church that receives the gospel not in word only, but in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. That we will be a church that follows godly men as they follow God. Not just following blindly, but they're like the Bereans. You remember Paul, they go to, from Thessalonica to Berea, and the Bereans were more noble because they searched the Scriptures with all readiness of mind. I pray that Grace Chapel will be examples to others as the Thessalonians were. They were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. That we will be, as Brother Zach exhorted, I believe he preached last Sunday, that for from you sounded out the word of the Lord. That literally means to echo out. It's like an echo, a reverberation. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to God is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. That we will be a church that is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that this will be a, a church that people can look to to know that the Word of God is being preached and being lived out. And then, may we be a church that is turning to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And then finally, that we are waiting expectantly for His Son, Jesus Christ, to come back. And so... Remember, this, this is a letter that Paul is writing to Christians. He is writing to those who have been united to Christ and they are joined together as a church. So this message is a, is a message to believers in Jesus Christ. But I know there are some here today who have never made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, who have never committed your life to serving the Lord. My prayer is that the mighty drawing power, the irresistible grace drawing power of the Holy Spirit will draw yourself, will make you to see yourself as a sinner who has no hope in yourself and that your only hope of salvation rests in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. To know that there is one way, the way, the truth, the life, And then, guess what? That you will start the work of faith and labor of love and enduring and hope and patience of hope. None but Jesus, we say, none but Jesus can do helpless sinners good. So brothers and sisters, may we be about the Master's business. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then um, one of you will pick out a song. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the message of the gospel. Thank you for this church at Thessalonica. Not a perfect church, uh, but we thank you so much for this church that was working, that was persevering, that was um, that was expecting, that was longing for the return of Jesus. But why, as they were, what was fueling their hope is their labor. They were laboring, and Lord, may we be a people that are praying for one another, that have this type of love for one another, that we, can be, that we are bound together by grace and peace. May we walk in that. May we live in that as a church here at Grace Chapel. And may it continue again until Christ comes back and all for His glory. In whose name I pray, amen.